0: It is better to think of church in the alehouse, than to think of the alehouse in church.
1: Three, two, 1. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions, weekly held about Christianity, the church and beer i'm your host tim curly and i'm joined by my co-host colton pierce colton
2: how are we doing we're doing okay i i was like we took a hiatus for like a week um i was sick last week i'm recovering and it's just i it got along. long like it's just water polo season i'm tired <laughs> tired all the time uh so it's it's going we're in the we're in the trenches i accidentally today at my uh at our water polo game i put sunscreen on a little too close to my eyes so uh started sweating and uh my eyes are just done they're just burnt out of my skull it feels like um from just the sunscreen dripping in there and i'm like uh it's been about like four hours and i'm finally able to like keep them open without like blinking like every two seconds I looked like a pirate driving home because I couldn't I couldn't do anything I was literally like yeah and I yeah so but other than that things are going good uh, life's going good how are you Tim
1: ah uh, same it's been a rough week my mom got admitted to the hospital on Wednesday with pneumonia so she's she's getting good treatment in the hospital but she's been in there since Wednesday uh, they're hoping to have her out by Monday we'll see and then she's gonna have to do some uh, outpatient therapy to get her lungs back up and stronger and then um, probably in there for a couple days maybe a week and then after that she's gonna have to stay uh, here at my house with my wife and I for a while so we can keep an eye on her she won't be strong enough to be staying on her own like she normally does in her apartment so yeah uh so that's added some level of stress uh you know going to the going to the hospital every day driving over there and checking in for a while and seeing what's going on getting updates and stuff like that and just uh never really a concern on my part that you know it was wasn't going to be something that was treatable but just it just adds to health issue like that always increases the stress level so by friday i was i was ready for a few beers which i did have last night Uh, but uh other than that it's the start official of the it's the it is the start of football season in fact we have a game going on right now on the television here in the go to hell podcast studios but uh last week was week zero And I told my SC and Notre Dame buddies, I was always taught that X times zero equals zero. So those games didn't count that they played in week zero. So as far as I'm concerned, this is the first week of the college football season. And uh, cheers to us. Our team's... That's right. Played uh, the poor sisters. I know, we played like the, the poor sister state <clears throat> schools and just cleaned house. My team won 73 to nothing. Yours won 81 to 7. So, uh, not sure. I mean, I, I having coached football and watched it my entire life, I'm pretty good at not f- focusing on the things that the, uh, people on television are having you focus on. So, uh you know the level competition wasn't that great but i was able to kind of get a sense of where there might be some improvement from last season and where we still have despite shutting down the arkansas state whatever they are uh still some work to be done on defense i did not see your team but uh they seem to be rolling with their heisman trophy candidate quarterback so good day always great when college football season starts around now it's the time of year where you will find me in my living room my office yelling at people who cannot hear me coaches and stupid people on television
2: uh if it makes you feel any better uh my players can't hear me when i'm the coach on the sidelines so (laughs) they've got water in their ears but yeah they
1: tune they tune you out
2: (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny that we're talking about this, uh, cause we're drinking a beer, uh, tonight. Much to our, uh, much to Tim's dismay, um, we are drinking a beer from Stone Brewing Company. They, have uh, partnered with USC to make a pale ale called the Fight On Pale Ale, um, if you don't know tim uh tim did undergrad work at ucla um and so he's adamant about not supporting anything that usc does but how do you feel about the beer tim uh yeah you're a liar (laughs) It's overpriced,
1: lacks depth, depth and is pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) It's the perfect beer for USC. Overpriced, lacks depth, and is pretentious. So it's living off of the stone reputation. (laughs) No, it's it's really tasty. I enjoy pale ales. They're harder to find than they used to be because I think the IPAs have just crowded out the brewing space at uh west coast breweries but like you said it before we got on the show this the perfect kind of beer because it still gives you that dry bitter flavor that you get from a west coast uh ipa but because it's a pale ale you're usually i mean you can get some pale ales that are really tasty they're like floating a little bit under five percent i've had some that are like 4.8 yeah and this one's 5.5 tastes like a full full body beer but yeah a pale ale somewhere usually around you know mid to low 5 so it's, you can drink a lot of them and not and uh be perfectly fine so it's it's perfect for a uh, football Saturdays and Sundays and it this one is tasty
2: yeah I'd take it over uh I'd take it over a session IPA I'd look for a pale ale before I tried before I was getting a session um and yeah it's pretty good I was like oh not bad um so mainly got it because my father is a adamant usc supporter he's a scott you're so disappointed. he's got his uh his doctorate from uh usc and so uh uh tim says that you're not really supposed to be a supporter of your of your grad school stuff the grad school stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, just so we're clear, my father didn't go to a division one school for when he went to undergrad. He went to Sonoma State. And he was a Cossack, which isn't even their thing anymore. They're the whatever they're they are, the sea wolves or whatever. So yeah. Um but yeah, really tasty beer. We'll also be drinking another one that we've had on the show before. Haven't we? We've had it on the yeah, show. Yeah, we
1: had it uh, about a month ago, I think. May- maybe six weeks ago.
2: Yeah, we had the O side Oh, look at them. There they are. Yeah, if you didn't know, USC is also thumping the crap out of Nevada right but now. But not as Six... bad as
1: Oregon and Oklahoma did. Uh, yeah. And we didn't give up 14 points.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Tim's got to take every shot he's got. Notice that he's not rooting for UCLA, though. <laughs> oh
1: my t- I'm, Yeah, I'm not much of a UCLA supporter anymore. They don't really support, despite what they say, they don't support athletics. So why should I? Uh, I will turn on the, the, I think they play pretty soon. They might be on now. We'll probably switch to that once this battle. This This Duke's Mayo uh,
2: classic is over. uh,
1: The battle of the Carolinas. The the battle to see who the true Carolina is. Although right now UNC is running away with it. So we're starting to. uh, Yeah, I think we had that o-side oasis like two or three weeks before maybe a month before our beer marathon yeah i think it was like i think i had it
2: or i think i brought it for fourth of july and we had it after yeah i think we saved two cans yes very tasty so looking forward to that cold ipa from stone as well so um that'll be on the show later this evening so what are you listening to what am i listening to that's a fun thing i have uh um i do this thing on fridays and i think this will be fine to bring up now because uh it just puts me in the right mood it's a like i said i think we've gone over that i'm very much vibe oriented when it comes to music and so on fridays to get myself uh in the mood and i have nice commutes now so <laughs> I listen to um uh well I listen to Kanye West on Fridays and so I call him <laughs> Kanye Fridays. Um I listen to his old stuff uh I listen to the album Late Registration and the College Dropout like fairly regularly. So I listen to those albums like once a week. Um and so that was mainly what I was listening to over the past couple of days. I didn't or yesterday mainly. I didn't listen to it really anything today um i'm when i'm in the f- car nine times out of ten i'm usually talking on the phone with my wife making sure she's okay and all that kind of stuff so um didn't really listen to anything today listen to a lot of whistles um <laughs> but other than that no that's what i've been listening to how about you i've been listening
1: to bruce hornsby quite a bit recently because uh there's this great show on fx called the bear if you haven't watched it and you have uh hulu Hulu. yeah it's actually it's it's by fx but it's only on hulu they don't actually for some reason they didn't actually put it on their fx network if you have it on cable which i'm gonna do a side thing well get back to bruce Hornsby. if you haven't watched the bear absolutely do um what's interesting about it not being on a cable show a cable network they don't have their the there's two seasons now they don't have traditional like this is a 30 minute or a a one hour show their episode lengths are all over the place like some of them are 45 minutes there's one that's i think clocks in a little bit over 30 there's one that goes like an hour and a half there's again they just kind of fluctuate they just they tell a tale that fits within you can tell it's been a very specifically plotted out show from the beginning a lot like Breaking Bad seemed to be because they've already said there's only going to be three seasons and people are upset about it but I think that's the smarter way to go just tell your story get out of there don't fill it up with fluffy episodes where you're like well that was a waste of my time right it's a very tight show dealing with the crazy insanity that I think we're we've all been kind of privy to now that we started getting privy to with the celebrity chefs about 20 years ago of just how insane uh, high-performing Michelin star restaurants are and just how really a lot of it's just toxic behavior. It's just being excused because of high pressure and people being perfectionists and all that kind of stuff. So part of the show deals with that. A lot of what the show deals with is family... Uh, family... uh Family uh, dysfunction and how that leads to generational dysfunction uh, for the children and, and all that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of depth to it. But the other part of it is, they they have this very interesting thing where there's pretty pretty much a soundtrack being played throughout the whole show. So they will they won't play like a bit of a song. They will play the entire song. And so when dialogue comes on, they just drop the song, but it's still playing in the background. Yeah. And it's, it's, I love it. It's, uh, it's kind of like the way Scorsese does a lot of his movies, where you just don't play a little bit and you're like, oh, that was cool, but they don't, you don't play the whole song. They play the whole thing and they will, a lot of times, they will pick one song that's kind of the theme of the show and play that multiple times. The music is always very much tailored to what the, emotional theme of the show is going to be so you know there's they put there's so it it's awesome and so the start of the opening credits and we're going to show a montage of visuals to get back into to start season two and remind everybody where we were and when we ended season one was the show goes on by bruce hornsby and it's just this phenomenal five i think five six minute song it's him at his best. And I mean, instantly I was like, yes. I, he's one of these guys you forget about. Uh, he's kind of in that Jackson Brown right? genre. Uh, he's phenomenal on the piano. Uh, he, I mean, he hammers that piano. <laughs> he plays it. He pounds that piano. And he's got to, if you've ever seen him play, he's clearly self-taught because he doesn't play it classically. He kind of like... He kind of more like hand picks a uh, finger pecks on a lot of stuff and then uses his fingers, but he's not clearly not classically trained. My mom uh, was self-taught on the piano, but she played it correctly. And my I remember when he became famous in the eighties with uh, the way it is and the, the video music video was out and he, they would show him playing the piano and they just marveled at how he could play <laughs> with his unconventional style because it didn't look like it would work. But anyway. Uh, just been listening to a lot of his stuff older stuff mainly he got a little more poppy the longer longer he went he got away from kind of that uh horns and uh piano and stuff that he did earlier on so and been enjoying Bruce hornsby good and then obviously this will drop a couple weeks after this has happened but we found out today that Jimmy Buffett died at the age of what 79 was it i think 79 81
2: too soon whatever it was too
1: soon uh i think <laughs> some of you might hear this and think that's how could you say that i think in a lot of ways he's underrated uh partially just because i think a lot of he's turned into a caricature for a lot of people just yeah the popularity of a song songs or th- his big song uh, and then he's become ubiquitous with you know his bars and you know Times Square and uh, Las Vegas Strip and all this kind of so he's kind of become like a a brand in of him to unto uh, himself but there's a reason for that he literally created a genre of country music that didn't exist right a and sub-genre. has now been uh, the banner has been taken the over. the banner's been t- taken over and people have run with it and done arguably in some cases better than he did but he was really I think a lot of ways he's underappreciated, again, just because he had these hits that just kind of became caricatures and people didn't understand the depth of his... Island Country
2: period. is still, like, some like some of my favorite music yeah. to listen to. Um, so, yeah, it's a hard one for Jimmy. Um, we're losing lots of country singers, it feels like, lots of old ones. Uh, it's just sadder and sadder every time. Yeah. They'll probably write a country song about it. <laughs> yeah, so here's to Margaritaville and Jimmy Buffett. Um I remember there's a song by oh, Blake Shelton. Uh this is how I got introduced to the song. Uh it's called Some Beach Somewhere by Blake Shelton and he goes uh the opening lines of that song are uh, driving down the interstate, running 30 minutes late, singing Margaritaville and minding my own. And I, and I started by – I listened to the song. Shortly thereafter, I listened to that song. I was in high school, and I listened to it, and I was like, I don't really feel like this is a sing-along song. <laughs> and so I went and I asked a bunch of people. I was like, I was like, hey, is Blake Shelton off by this being a sing-along song? And everybody that I asked was like, that is 100% a sing-along song. And I was like, What? And I know every word now, and I sing along at the top of my lungs um, because that song is phenomenal. Uh, so, And he did other great songs too, but it's just... That, that one in particular is so iconic, um, and it's so good. If you haven't gotten the chance, please make sure that you listen to Margaritaville this week whenever you hear this podcast. Um, spend some time wasted away again.
1: Yeah. There's another song. It's of the Pirates. Mm-hmm. What is it? Pirates. I know what you're talking about. It's my favorite of him, but, but I can't remember the name.
2: No, your favorite by him is actually uh, Five O'Clock Somewhere by Alan Jackson featuring Jimmy Buffett. a pirate looks pirate at 40 pirate looks at 40 yeah
1: yeah and it's this it's this great song of this pirate who's staring at 40 which if you think about it that's pretty much it's time for retirement or or death probably and he's looking he's waxing longingly about it, the way his life was and how it's going to be it's just it's phenomenal all right
2: We need to talk some churchy stuff. I was prepared to just talk about Jimmy Buffett for the rest of the evening. All right. All right. guess we can get back on track on what the podcast is about. <laughs> Which it's about the fact that Penn State is a cult.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but not as cultish as uh, we're looking at you, Texas A&M.
1: Oh, jeez. Alright, so we're going to hope, discuss hopefully two articles. We're going to start with one Why Middle Aged Americans Aren't Going Back to Church. This is from a couple weeks ago, uh, but it's. So I'm going to read from it. As soon as I get a burp out, come on, you're there. Church attendance for Gen Zers has dropped off more dramatically than other age groups. Oh, here we go. Americans in their 40s and 50s often identify with a religion, but they're also in the thick of raising kids, caring for aging parents, juggling demanding jobs that spill into the weekend. During the pandemic, many out got out of the habit of going regularly to religious services and didn't resume some have been drifting away before or became disillusioned by church scandals or positions on social issues in recent years the percentage of people ages 39 to 57 who attended a worship service during the week either in person or online fell to 28 percent in 2023 down from 41 in 2020 wow that's quite a drop according to a survey this year this was the largest percentage point drop of all age groups examined in the survey of two thousand adults conducted by the cultural (laughs) research center at arizona christian university marlon eddins 45 years old who lives in memphis tennessee and works in the automotive industry attends church about as half as often as he did before the pandemic i got into the habit of not going says the father of 25 and a 19 year old i go to church but not as often as i probably should he and his family changed churches and now tend, attend a non-denominational church rather than the Baptist church of his youth. There's a different vibe and a cultural shift, he said, adding that he retains his core Baptist beliefs. When you got faith, you got faith. I just don't go like going every Sunday. I, I don't think going every Sunday makes you who you are. Percentage of Gen Xers who worship weekly is now as low as millennials, according to the cultural research survey. Baby boomers and people ages 77 and older had the highest attendance rates at 38 and 53, respect, respectively. That's not all that impressive high either. Yeah. No generation endured, uh, quote, no generation endured greater spiritual turbulence than Gen X during the pandemic, says George Barna, director of research at Cultural Research Center, which also found drops in other religious practices, and beliefs among Gen Xers. Church attendance levels have been declining for decades across generation, gener, generations with less than half of adults belonging to households of worship in 2020, compared with 70% in 1999, according to the Gallup. Drop off of those in the 40s and 50s has been building, says Josh Packard, a 45-year-old sociology sociologist of religion, who has researched changing forms of religious expression. Parents often attend church or templates to get their kids through certain religious milestones, including confirmation, Bad Bad Mitfes, Packard said. Quote, then after that, it starts to wane uh, more every year. Trish Taylor, 59, an ordained minister and... Church consultant in Houston said people in their 40s and 50s often grow up in one church and never questioned going until the pandemic, which gave them time to examine their beliefs and practices. Some of them are disenchanted by polarization within churches and positions over many issues, including gay rights, which may affect their children. John Newman, 41, no longer attends or donates to the church, but will respond Catholic on a survey and supports Catholic schools and their sports programs. <laughs> Newman, who went to Catholic... All right. Well, Jesus is happy. Newman, yep. <laughs> Newman went to Catholic schools, uh, stopped going to church in his 30s when he says a new priest marginalized people who were gay, living out of wedlock or divorced. Uh, quote, I'm not interested in hearing those sermons, says Newman, who lives in the Chicago area. Some people who study religion like the drop-offs in attendance and involvement to the workplace phenomenon call quiet quitting. Uh while average attendance, including online, has rebounded from the pandemic in many congregations, deeper participation is still lagging, says David Brubaker, professor of, uh, at Eastern Mennonite University and organizational consult consultant. Volunteering fell to about 20% of church membership in 2022 from about 40% in early 2020, according to the Hartford Institute for Religious Research. Congregates may show up on a Saturday or Sunday, but are less amped to jump in and help, he said, adding that members will stay and engage if they find meaning and connection. People remain on membership rolls. Who does that anymore? But stop (laughs) volunteering, says Packard. In many cases, they continue making donations until their credit card expires. If asked, they continue to describe themselves as Protestant, Jewish, or another denomination. It's not like they're walking away saying, I'm now an atheist and I don't believe, he says. There's, they still believe in a God and they live life with purpose but are done with the institutional church. Ginger Harris, 51, a prophet, nonprofit executive and former Southern Baptist missionary stopped attending her Southern Baptist church over changes including restrictions on women's, on women ministers. She's not sure she would have been able to leave a church where she was actively involved hosting Bible study groups in her home at a younger age. Quote, I was at a place of maturity and was able to get let go of that rigidness, says Harris, who now attends Zoom services from an Episcopal church. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. From uh and gatherings in the home of a local progressive Baptist pastor. <laughs> All right. Very ecumenical. Many Gen Xers say going to church remains a priority. Uh, Janetta McElroy, 44, attends services regularly at a non-denominational church in Chicago. It's like my family, says McElroy, whose two sons, 24 and 17, often join her. Uh, That's about it. Um, the final quote to the article. Church was an anchor where it's not anymore oof there's another article i've read recently that also discussed this data that they, they delved into other aspects of the research that they're talking about that this article doesn't deal with where people are just referencing the fact that they feel like there's they're, they're over and church loses out um let me see if i can find that one but I, I think the I think the point remains that the, the gist of it was people were saying between work, um, particularly if they've got kids not gone out of the house away to college or married out or just on their own out of the house, the overscheduling of activities, uh, their own activities, if you know they want to have us. I remember there was people talking about I don't have a social life. You know, I don't even get a social life myself with my kids, so let alone. And you can say, well, you can get that at church. Not on Sundays. No.
2: So, anyway, thoughts? Yeah, I think it's... uh, Tim, how many times... All right, in a 52-week year, how many times do you go to church in a year? Right now, based Uh, off of projections, what do you think? We're gonna lose
1: we're gonna lose listeners for this. What, people are gonna be upset? Why well, I, I don't know. Um, let me see. I would say fifty two weeks probably a skosh under twenty six. a scotia under scotia over 26 and what now i will say a lot of when we do miss actually going we if you're i don't like that they're rolling in the online church we can get into that a little bit later we'll get I, to that, that i think that's an important point so i according to this i still probably go two-thirds to three-quarters of the year to church because if i don't go i'm still watching the online service that our church right. has Right, and then, uh, but in terms of attendance, yeah, it's probably plus or minus. It's there's a plus or minus of two or, of a couple on the the median twenty six weeks, a halfway point.
2: And then, how often? So then, okay, so let's say pre church fallout. It's not pre pandemic, because I think the pandemic the. You guys were in a transitional phase. Right, yeah, we right didn't around stop when...
1: going to church because of the pandemic. We didn't drop our church attendance because of the pandemic. We, no. We talked... We, our church attendance dropped because of the much talked about on the show uh, brouhaha that happened that sent us packing at our previous church. And bef- so before... Before um, the disillusionment from that, we were there somewhere probably, again, plus or minus 90% of the weeks. We were there religiously. (laughs) If we weren't there, it's because somebody was ill or we were out of town. But we weren't just not going. Right.
2: Yeah, I... uh... Pre-Fallout, I mean, I was working for a church at that point, so I was there every single week. Um, But then before that, um, before I was working there, I was there probably around 80-90% to attendance. And then the church fallout happened, and since then it's been really tough trying to go back. Um, Yeah, I agree with a lot of the statements that people have said. I was like, Tim said 26 is probably his number. I'm thinking I'm more like 12, like 12 to 14.
1: Yeah. You're there about once. You go about once a month on average.
2: Yeah. I was like, there's times where like I go like a couple weeks in a row and then you won't see me for like six weeks. Um, And um, yeah, that's, tough um sometimes I, I mean like yeah uh, church takes a back burner on a lot of stuff I was like right now it's it's definitely taking a back burner because um, tomorrow morning I'm gonna wake up because it's a Saturday right now and I'm exhausted I work six days this week and I'm not gonna want to go even right. though it's, an ol- it's only an hour of my day, and it's not like i got to drive across town for it. Like, it's a, it's a five-minute drive from my house. Um,
1: well, I would say one of the reasons... You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say one of the reasons why... I'm going to speak for both of us, and then you tell me if I'm speaking on a turn, but I think both of us, when, when I say that, I include my wife, and I think even... Uh, your wife although she, when i'm there she does seem to know some people but one of the reasons is cuz our church is just i mean we don't well yes by st- statistically speaking it is a very large church i think it's there's 2000 people on the rolls and on a on a holiday service they they pack in more they pack in more than that over four or five services so yeah it is large, it, suffice it to say, it's one, it's 25 minutes away. If you live in a big city, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Here it is. It's on the complete, I live in the south part of Tulari. Uh Our church is located on the extreme north end of Visalia. I don't work in to larry or visalia my work take pl- takes place online everybody i work with literally is sprinkled around the united states and the globe my wife does not work in Vicelia; she works in a nearby town you don't work in visalia
0: yeah no i don't
1: um so we're not in we're not engaged in work where you might have work friends that go there the church yeah. is so big like a lot of churches that that Uh, are healthy they're you know the ones that are really doing well are large churches you don't really know anyone you're just there you're there to hear some music being played and a sermon and then a sermon yeah and if that's the case other than maybe just the i just some sort of uh un you know unknown like anyway i can just i can get that experience just as well drinking my coffee instead of the lousy coffee they serve at church and sit in my couch and get the same experience and not have to get dressed dressed up and drive 25 minutes there and drive 25 minutes back and um and so you know on a a regular basis like it's not a big deal now i will say after a while if i've missed i start feeling like I, i gotta get back to church there's just there is something to be like i gotta get my ass back because otherwise i don't know you i start feeling a bit untethered now doesn't i don't feel like i have to then start i have to go and it takes me a couple weeks one one week back i feel like i'm a bit plugged back into some loosely into some bit of community but again i think that's one of the reasons one of these things that this is touching on is I think people just started figuring out, if I'm just going, I'm not really interacting with people, and now it's online, then what's the point of going? No one's going to miss me.
2: Yeah, and I think, I don't know, we always talked about this in, um, in developing just people participating in that kind of stuff. Is You need to feel known and you need to feel needed. Right. Um, and and one of the key things with with churches that you have to get plugged in like you in order to continue to go week in and week out you you have to be plugged in and we just uh, well you get plugged in like you help teach a finance course and that kind of stuff um but uh, for me personally I have um, I don't get plugged in. Um, and I mean, like, that's something that I need to work on. Um, uh, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not looking to get plugged in. Like,
1: but uh, going back to the, uh, the article that I didn't read from, but I have referenced, when would you get plugged in? You're, you know, you're a teacher now at a new school which means you're having to relearn some bit of the wheel because it's different at this school than where you were at before. And you're coaching water polo. Um, Got a kid. You know, him. one of the things they referenced in the article was I'm ba- I barely have enough time to get to church on Sunday. And there's a lot of times where I just want to feel like I don't want to have anything to do scheduled on Sunday, including go to church, just so I'm not, my entire existence isn't scheduled. And then on top of it, you want me to be involved in a small group. Oh, yeah, I know. And sometimes I, I... Look, we've been very callous and... Uh, <laughs> uh, what's the word? Uh, we've been very callous about our... Abrasive. Uh, about just being very honest about what church, Sunday church is and the money that it brings in and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes I, this, this we're, Andy Flores is gonna be listening to this and he's gonna start laughing because this just takes it back. This is why I think a lot of people are finding, this article doesn't talk about it because you can't capture the data for it. But I think this is why a lot of people are finding home church better because you can do home church any day of the week. There, it, it doesn't have to be on Sunday. And you wrap church into your small group; it's all the same thing. So I'm not double scheduled during the week or triple scheduled because my Bible studies on Tuesday, my husband's is you know Tuesday morning at six a.m. But then the kids still have their thing on uh, Wednesday night, and all this other stuff. And it just, it's just nope. We're all doing it at somebody's house. It's people I like. It's people I know. I can get open with. I can be honest with. There are people that I can lean on when or we can lean on each other when there's a death in the family or a health issue or whatever. And again, I'm not, yeah. (laughs) Some, if, if you're, if you're listening to this and you've grown up in the church and you still feel obligated to go to church, this probably horrifies you, but the church, the church over the years has adapted for 2000 years has adapted to the culture. And I think a lot of a lot of what i take from this is just there's two things to take away from this one is the people within the church who are believers are just technology and technology always presents ways for systems to adapt but it usually takes a crisis for some uh, institutions to rip the band-aid off yes to do that and that's what the pandemic did a lot of churches were dabbling in online and they re- they either weren't doing it or they were doing it terribly and and the, and the pandemic forced churches to go all in because the, if they were going to continue to get any kind of money, they had to, had to have some kind of presence and that was online to keep getting donations and, and even just outside of tithing, just get having people connected to your church when at some point hopefully COVID would end. Well, a lot of people, again, as some people were saying in this article, yeah, you know what? It works perfectly fine for me. Yeah. Because I don't really know anybody at church. I would just shuffle in anonymously, sit in the back, listen to the pastor, get some enjoyment out of it, like the music, and then shuffle my way out anonymously again. So I'd rather just do it in my house. Yeah. Um. For others, I think there's a lot of, you know a lot of this is because the church we're we're all having a hard time dealing with what has been deemed core doctrine doctrinal beliefs in terms of gay marriage and divorce and all that kind of stuff and the church is fracturing over it so
2: yeah i think um i don't know i'll be so i'm a so as an English teacher, um, I talk with people all the time about reading books and how it's like, um, it's something that I do that's a part of my nightly routine. Um, if, you, if you know me well enough, probably since 2018, my life kind of took a shift. Um, we talked about it on here before where I struggled with anxiety. It was kind of something that I never really struggled with before, but then had a panic attack in a movie theater. And, um, and since then my life changed. Um, I was, I was very easy going. wasn't really high strung. And then I literally became a hypochondriac over, over this situation that happened in a movie theater. Um, and, but when I So over that summer, I really struggled in 2018. um, In September, I had to go – I had to start taking meds um, to try and combat a lot of the stuff that was going on in my brain to where I wasn't able to function. Um, I'd have panic attacks just like regularly. And so I started taking my meds, and one of the side effects of my meds was insomnia. Um, And so I developed insomnia for a, a long period of time. And uh, for several months, like probably like eight or nine months, I had insomnia. Um, And so I had to develop a routine uh, for myself. And so at nine o'clock on most nights, not every night, um, because, you know, things happen. I'm driving home or I'm doing the podcast or whatever. But for the most part, my routine is at nine o'clock. I shut off all technology and then I read for two hours before I go to bed. Um, and if you asked me before 2018, if I ever read a book, I'd say or like I'd be like I just, I love reading, but I just don't have time. Um, but because this became such a huge priority for me, um, I was able to read for two hours. I've been able to steadily read for two hours every single night, um, no matter what, and it wasn't an issue of time. It wasn't. It was just an issue of it wasn't important enough to me to make the time. Um, And this is where, I mean, I have conversations with people now because people, uh, nice little easy conversation when you talk with people is what movies do you like to watch? What TV shows do you like to watch? And though I know lots of old movies um, and I know lots of old TV shows, I don't watch TV and I don't watch movies anymore. Um, And that's because just my time is extremely precious to me. And it's just like I'd rather play video games with my friends until 9 o'clock because, I mean, I get home from work. I make dinner. I'm the person that makes dinner in my household. I help clean it up. And so usually with the time that it takes me to drive home from work and get there um, and making dinner, then clean. So the prep work, the making of dinner, and then the cleanup usually get done at about 7 o'clock. So I play video games with my friends until 9 o'clock and that may be the time where you might decide for yourself that you want to go watch a show or something, and that's totally cool. Um, but uh, for me, it was, all right, I'm going to go spend two hours playing with my friends, and then I spend two hours reading before I go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, and that's good enough for me. Um, now, I'm saying all of this because, again, it was a priority for me, and it was what I had to do to fight insomnia i had to become very routine-esque and so i i do have that for myself and so i have the self-discipline to be able to recognize that yeah church me not giving up an hour of my time on a sunday morning is really actually just the fact that i don't want to go um i don't want to go on a sunday morning um and this is an honest uh thing i when I was going to therapy, um, constantly they ask you over and over again, or I got asked over and over again, did you want to be there? Did you, like, there would be situations where I'd have a panic attack and they'd ask over and over again, did you want to be there? And I think that that's a crucial question that you should ask yourself about church is, do you want to be there or is it a chore? Um, because if it's a chore, you need to stop going. Yeah. Um... And don't sit there and make time for this if it's not something that you are wanting to be at. Um, and don't sit there and say, I want to be there, and we've talked about this before, because you believe that your salvation is tied to your church attendance. That is, no. Like, start changing that mindset immediately, because that's not how it works. Um, We've talked about the benefits of going to church and how being in touch with that sense of community and what Tim was talking about earlier, where he's like, I need occasional just like recharge of the batteries kind of thing. Um, but again, it's just this is one of those things where I, I have to openly admit, if it was a priority for me, I would make it happen. But I and, and maybe like. Maybe if we had like a Sunday night service, well, maybe probably more of like a Saturday night service. But I do a lot of stuff on Saturday nights. That's the hard part is like I do stuff all the yeah, time. Yeah,
1: that's the problem. Like I would be fine with it. Well, no, I say that my wife and I are like Sunday night.
2: I'm a night person. Is, so it's well, like, I'm
1: a night person, but Sunday nights like I don't don't I avoid scheduling stuff on Sunday night because I want to get prepared for the week that's going to come along. Right.
2: So you know. But yeah, they like. We don't go to a super early service. It's not like I have to be up at the Buck crack of dawn to to go, but it's it's there's something about there's something about it where it's just I don't wanna go. And I think it is the part where we're not plugged in or anything like that. We're we're at that stage. Now, also something to be said. Hey, there's Kelly. Um There is something to be said about <laughs> I think that there's a priority shift with parents also. um, Where, and we've talked about club sports. Yeah. um, Or at least Tim and I have on a regular basis. There are good things and there are bad things about club sports. I'm finding more and more that there are more bad things about club sports than there are good things, it feels like. Um, But a lot of times that's another reason why people are missing is because of the you know because of the the club sports that their kids are involved in and so they need to be getting them to soccer or they need to be getting them to baseball or whatever and so they're missing uh, their attendance for that and that was like a huge thing at our previous church where yeah. it was like you cannot be gone doing this blah 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 and they would and I felt like there was at least like one sermon a year that was at least like some sort of guilt trip about uh, about that. And it's like – again, we also need to move away from the shift of understanding that – and this is why the home church, what what you just talked about, uh, church doesn't have to be on a Sunday morning in a brick-and-mortar building um, yeah. that you think of. That's why it's funny that it used the language like – these people still claim that they're Baptist or Jewish <laughs> or whatever. And I or Protestant and I was like, yeah, because that because your attendance at a church does not make you who you are. Right? Like that's yeah, it's it's bizarre um to me. It's your beliefs and your cuz you can believe in God without ever having to step foot in a in a church. Yeah there's plenty of people that don't even have access to a church building anywhere in the, in the world. Like, you know, like in their world that they live in, they don't have access to a church. And so it's where you make it. It's where you work and, and you know, um, with the believers that are around you. It's just a community of believers that you surround yourself with. Now, that being said, I do enjoy our church. Um, but the only reason why I go when i go is because i think that our pastor is very progressive and i like hearing those uh, i like hearing those topics um, and getting challenged through that i don't find that with every pastor um, and if it was other things i probably wouldn't go like if it w- if that wasn't happening i i wouldn't go i'd listen to some other podcast where i felt challenged and motivated or whatever um to go out and do whatever. But that's all I'm getting from a Sunday service right now, if I'm being honest. Right. Is I'm I'm going there to feel challenged and then and then make improvements. Um but I I think a majority of pastors out there don't do that. Um and cha- and challenge not guilt tripped. And we need to find the difference between the two.
1: Yeah, you there there was definitely I don't remember which one of the Two pastors that were pastors when you and i were going to the previous church right one of them clear very very definitively one day stood up and scolded everybody who was prioritizing their kids baseball or something over church and it's right. just look i understand the mentality to sort of but it was the execution was poor and also while i you know part of my brain that grew up in the church understands the scolding. And there's something to be said about over-prioritizing. If you want to have a conversation about over-prioritizing just youth sports in general, that's a more meaningful conversation than having a discussion about prioritizing youth sports over church. So, um, um, I did find the other article and it,
2: I'm glad I did. It's like USC is a, or UCLA is about to thump the heck out of Coastal Carolina.
0: Oh,
2: we're to our second beer. Where I am, I don't know about Tim over there. He's got to he's got to finish it before he watches. He doesn't want his UCLA. I know my TV just melted.
1: Um. So this is. Quoting from a book called *The Great Deturching*. Oh, I thought you said detergent. The de- de- Great Detergent. The uh, Great Detergent.
2: Uh. uh Who that's oh, got, we'll got re- flavor?
1: Read this in full. The Great Deturching finds that it's it's a nice that reads well but doesn't speak well. The Great Deturching finds that religious abuse and more general moral corruption. In churches have driven people away. This, of course, an indictment of the failures of many leaders who did not address abuse in their church, but Davis and Graham, the authors, also find that a much larger share of those who have left the church have done so for more, interesting word, banal reasons. The book suggests that the de- defining problem driving most people out who leave is just how American life works in the 21st century. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's professional life or, as one ages, the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America and because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that doesn't add up. Numerous victims of church abuse, so well, I'll skip that one. Consider one of the composite characters that Graham and Davis use in the book to describe a typical evangelical de-churcher. A 30-something woman who grew up in a suburban megachurch, was heavily invested in a campus ministry while in college, then after graduating, moved to a full-time job and began attending a young adults group in a local church. In her 20s, she meets a guy who is less religiously engaged. They get married, and at some point earlier in their marriage, after their first or second child is born, they stop going to church. Maybe the baby isn't sleeping well, and when a Sunday morning comes around, it is simply easier to stay home and watch whatever sleep is available and catch whatever sleep is available as the baby finally falls asleep. In other cases, a person might be entering mid-career, working at a high-stress job requiring a 60-70-hour work week. And to that 15 hours of commute time and suddenly something like two-thirds of their waking hours in the week are already accounted for. And when a friend invites them to a Sunday morning brunch, that probably, they probably want to go to church. But they also want to see that friend because they haven't been able to see them for months. The friend wins out. After a few weeks of either scenario, the thought of going to church on Sunday carries a certain mental burden with it. You might want to go. But you also dread the inevitable questions about where have you been? I skipped church to go to church brunch with a friend or I was just too tired to come doesn't sound like convincing excuses as you rehearse the conversation in your mind. Soon it actually sounds like it's harder it it'll be harder to attend than skip, even if some of you still wants to go. The underlying challenge for many is that their lives are stretched like a rubber band about to snap, and church attendance ends up feeling like an item on a checklist that's already too long.
2: Right. And that's how it shouldn't be.
1: That's how it shouldn't be. I don't disagree. I think I don't disagree with the overall tenor of what the book is saying. I would say, if we're being, if we're being honest, picking on the church thing. Yes, why well, if we're religious people, we're Christian people, and we're, we're the thing we find important is church going. We're going to fixate on that. But I think a bigger, just discussion would be a book that just deals with the overscheduling, the individualized uh, pursuit of making money. And individualistic uh, accomplishments like this the broader tone of what they're laying out I think that's a more fascinating discussion churches is what is one of the first things that's being <coughs> well, <and> church <coughs> excuse me church is one of the things that's being lost out on I would say it's not a new it's not the first one though if we're being honest marriages and children have been losing out now for several decades because we've been this way those were the first lines that were starting to suffer from the overscheduling and the individualized pursuit of excellence and making money and all that kind of thing so you know it's not to say that uh, adding church in there as a discussion is not a bad thing um but further on there's some there's some good noted um, points as well the theologian Stanley Hauerwas captured the problem well. Um, let me back up one paragraph. The tragedy of American churches is that they have been caught up so caught up in the same world that we now find they have nothing to offer these suffering people that can't be more easily found somewhere else. American churches have too often been content to function as a kind of vaguely spiritual NGO an organization of detached individuals who meet together for religious services that inspire them, provide practical life advice or offer positive emotional experiences. Too often it has not been a community that through its preaching and living bears witness to another way to live. The theologian Stanley Hauerwas captured the problem well when he said that pastoral care has become obsessed with personal wounds of people in advanced industrial societies who have discovered that their lives lack meaning the difficulty is that many of the wounds and aches provoked by our current order aren't of a, a sort that can be managed or life-hacked away they are resolved by only changing one's life by becoming radically different a radically different sort of person belonging to a radically different sort of community yeah that i think is takes us right back to the home church thing of um, I, I, I think that gets to the core problem. Look, there are certainly people who, because of the time, either they, they have the time or they decide church as it is constructed today, which I like the way they put this guy put it. It's an industrial complex. era. It's an industri- modern church today is an industrial era complex. In the same way that the schools we send our kids off to, right. there are these large buildings that we can bring in large masses of people and, and uh, minister to them, quote unquote, more efficiently. Part of that's because we live in big cities. Those big cities were built around industrial you know, factories, that kind of thing. So there might have been a time where that model worked. But it is true that (laughs) what we keep coming to, I don't think it's, you can, if you, maybe some of you are listening to this, there's certainly a lot of, there are still people who are finding meaning, they're finding community in church. I think it's important that the numbers all across the board in all the surveys show that it's older people. So let's be honest, these are people who are retired or if they're not retired, they don't have the busy lives because their kids are being scheduled. And one thing that's being discussed, you know, we talk about, we've, we've focused on the sports stuff, just as an aside, and then I'll get back to my point. We focus on the sports stuff and the over-scheduling there. You and I both know, colleges these days demand that students be over overly scheduled. They want people who are not just getting good grades, but our superhuman little teenagers who play sports and are in the drama club and are involved in a charity and, you know, uh, teach Spanish to underprivileged uh, kids with cleft palates. It's just it's absurd. So some of this stuff isn't just like parents wanting to be like, oh, I want my kid in baseball and I think my kid's going to be a major league baseball player. It's No. They're getting feedback from their kids who are talking to the college counselors or they're talking to their college counselors and it's, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And so and up until when your kid's driving, that means you're driving them. But even when they're driving, you're still having to manage where they're at. What are they doing? Yep. You're Or you're having to go to the things that they're participating in because it's now seen as some unforgivable sin to miss some game your kid played in or miss you know the you know one of the plays that they are in it's just like oh my god mommy and daddy don't like me and i don't actually think kids think that way but we've convinced ourselves that way um partially because parents were i think a little too uh not plugged in when i was a kid and we've seen this overreaction and hopefully at some point there'll be some equilibrium of you know, my kid can go play some games and I don't have to be there to see everyone. They'll be perfect. You know, they're, they're supposed to focus on playing anyway. So maybe they just need to know that every little game they play isn't like the most important thing in the world. And anyway, um, the older folks are going because they don't have these overscheduled lives, either with kids at home or they're retired. So they can find the time to find a group of ladies or men who can meet during the day or whatever convenient time that's not tied around work that still exists at church. Right. But again, that seems to be a dying model. I don't think that when I'm that age, I'm going to then start going, you know what? I'm going to go find myself a men's group for men who are over 70 years old or something at the church. It's going to be probably if I'm blessed enough that the same group of men that I'm friends with now or, whatever friends I come across between now and then, those still become my community group outside of an industrial
2: church. Yeah, that's the thing is like, I don't...
1: We don't have religious discussions every Wednesday when we're blessed enough to get together for trivia night. But we do sometimes. Yeah. And I would rather go to trivia night with the men who are important to me, and then hopefully on a Friday, then sit around in a room and eat stale cookies and soda pop with a bunch of guys that, yeah, I kinda know and it's nice to get to know them and it, I, I'm always interested in meeting new people, but I still don't have the connection to the men that I already have a deep, meaningful connection to, people that will challenge me, I can challenge them, we can be honest. Why cram more shit into that? Because I have to be involved in a church
2: group. Yeah, that's the hard part. Is there. So, I think there's the idea of clicks um, where um, people are making. So, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, okay, well, isn't all you guys are just forming is just a click? Um, And I'm sorry to say that. Technically, every church is a clique if you get yeah, it that way. It, yes. I was like um, – There's
1: nothing wrong with cliques. What's wrong with cliques is when they became, become mean girls and they think they're superior to other cliques. Or, or they, exclu- they become exclusive. Exclusive, yeah.
2: Right. And so – um, And uh, like I could sit here and say like we're inviting or whatever and like we try to get people into our group and that kind of stuff and you may sit there and you're like that's what every click says they're like oh no we're nice and friendly and and but then people try it out and they're like i didn't feel like i belonged there they had all these inside jokes blah 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 right i will say that um that something to be said about our relationship that you and i have is this has only been formulated over the past few years like it's right. not like like I knew Tim at TFBC.
1: I remember when Colton was a very annoying eighth grader.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like I, we had different. Like the, it, it was like there was lots of times where it was like I know who you are, but like we didn't talk. Like Kellen, Andy, Andy once. Like I re- the first time that I remember interacting with Andy was at uh our and Andy I don't know if Andy remembers this it was at a meeting uh, that JC had set up for everybody to to meet and talk about what was going on and that where we could get parent input on the junior high ministry okay. so I went and I like gave my whole spiel and Andy was like so what are we going to do about that after school thing at uh <laughs> TFVC like can we shut that down, and I just remember just being like, "Oh gosh, I've already got a parent that's bringing this up, and like the whole plan was like, yeah we're not we're not bringing that back for at least a year. We're gonna give that a break um so um and that's that's what I remember of Andy, but Andy was always helping out and volunteering, but so like I knew who these people were, and we as a guys group or so me and my friends who were we're all, you know, young 20s, um mid 20s, we all got our jobs or our careers started and we just started going to Koya every single Friday and we'd see You guys, there, and we're like, hey, we know you. And we'd strike up a conversation and we'd start talking about stuff. Sometimes we go to politics, sometimes we go to church or whatever. And we continue to see each other on a weekly basis on Fridays. We exchange numbers, we exchange telegrams, (laughs) um, which nobody uses. If you're thinking to yourself, and you're not one of the, if you're not Andy, you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, do they really exchange telegrams? No, there's this dumb app that everybody uses because. because nobody wanted to get iphone shamed i don't know who it is in the in the whatever it's called in the cigar group that doesn't have an iphone but get over it um (laughs) go buy an iphone um we and through that process we were able to grow and i never ever felt excluded or anything like that and we did have to grow to become comfortable i think um uh and we've talked about this before with one of our friends uh he He feels like he's considerably left right. on the political spectrum um than a lot of guys in our group, and he was uncomfortable to having those conversations for a long time and then he doesn't feel that way at all anymore right He feels like he can speak it and people will disagree with him, but they do not um but they don't put him down or anything they no have name
1: calling there's no No, he doesn't you're less of a less of a person cuz they think don't that get way. yeah,
2: they don't get loud, they don't get uh, abusive or whatever and we can have a good honest conversation. Now, he doesn't do that with everyone in the whole group. Right. I was like it's it's very selective, but he's it's now a place where we all feel safe and we all feel comfortable to have these conversations and and that it wasn't again, that's something that took over i still feel like it was like at least a year or two you know right. it wasn't like it wasn't i i don't even know how it came to be where it's at now but i mean we love it like i was like at least i do i was like it's it's been great and i think it's awesome that we have such a wide age group um in ours because we've got roke who's what well, i don't even know how old roke is he's 65 probably 65 how old is Jay? same age
1: jay's 10 years older than me so he's 61 62 yeah
2: and it's great i was like you guys are 50s kellens late 30s 40s Yeah, late 30s um and then we're late 20s now right um and so it's awesome to just have this widespread of men who are just able to have conversation and we came by it naturally You know, like it wasn't it wasn't this forced conversation where we, like you said, had to share stale cookies and and like be like,
0: yeah. Okay, so
1: but this occurred to me. This is the problem. Because we're I think we're we're a wonderful. Anecdote to how you can do church outside of church. But if we're really being honest, the only way yes we we ended up becoming we organically became a group at the brewery but we also were aware of each other from church originally
2: that's true that is an origin and
1: that's the problem when i say this is the problem with the well home church is the model or you know organic men's community groups are the problem how those are those only form today because there's some church connection originally. That's true. And so I think at some point as churches continue to die out, their church will figure out ways of like Christian mingle, but not from a, not from a romantic standpoint of but you know, if you're just if If your problem is is you're working all the time and all you're doing is working and then you're, you're taxing your kids around everywhere and you don't have time to go to church, well, you don't have time to find Christians that you don't have a connection to either. I mean, you might find them at work and you might organically come up with a group of people at work that you find out are Christians and that turns into something. But at this point, the way society is, there still has to be some sort of like loose church connection in order to do the thing that replaces church, and I think that's that's still the problem. Um, and at this point, that's an extremely inefficient <laughs> it's an inefficient system because you're having to pay a lot of money to house. Well, I, you can see, uh, you know. I could see the future is you have less churches, but churches become hubs and, and churches become kind of like the way homeschool, you know homeschooling used to be just like there were these crazy parents and they decided
2: they're going to pull their kids out and then they just started homeschooling their kids. Just so we're clear, clear, that is homeschooling. There are crazy parents that just like think to themselves, I'm going to start schooling my kids because I know better. Work with me here.
1: Yeah, I know. And then they just literally, their little school is their pond. And then the more it became popular, and then technology came along and all this kind of stuff, people started figuring out, you know, the better way to do this is you teach your kids maybe a couple days a week by yourselves, but then there's other days of the week where you interact with other homeschool families to share the burden it uh it deals with the i think very overstated problem of social interaction um but anyway it gets the social interaction they do activities together so they turn in kind of like a we do things individually or as a small group so to speak but we also have this pod mentality and i think you know maybe where you have a church And the church has, the, the church is investing in a bare minimum of facilities. Yeah. So you don't have this ridiculous budget that's going to, the stuff we've talked about before, which is the facilities and all of the utilities that go along with it, the ever skyrocketing costs of electricity and gas and all that, water, you're not dealing with the staff costs because you're not paying for 10 pastors or four pastors or two pastors. You're maybe paying a one person part-time because they're, you know, whatever. But you still, so you still have this connection, but then within this group that maybe meets once a month or every six weeks, we all get together. We still have this smaller group of people that are the home church folks that, or the community group or whatever you call call it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think that you're you're right on. I I I I feel like yeah, the more we talk about it the more it's it's just more and more solidified on the idea that the home church is really actually what people need um and and just so we're clear i was a skeptic of the home church like i was like okay like because like eight years ago i think that you should always be extremely skeptical whenever something is like really sexy um and when i say sexy like it's really appealing to people and there was a huge push for home churches um because of the francis because of Francis Chan, yeah, and Francis Chan, if you didn't know, was like the like the 2010s, like early like Francis Chan was like anything that that guy wrote was like gold, like everybody yeah. wanted it for small group stuff. They wanted to talk about it, and he was just extremely conversational, like it, uh, like Francis Chan was just. A youth pastor for the masses, basically. Like he he was, was, but he
1: didn't water anything down. He was, he was very, very, very. I would almost say fundamentalist. I mean, he went to John MacArthur Seminary. He's a. He graduated from Master Seminary. He's he's a. He and John differ on a lot of things, but he's also a child of John MacArthur and very fundamentalist, uh, traditional Christian views. He's not at all watered down. Yeah, at, and in any way, no and and so a lot and he's it's super intense about his faith which is a bit intimidating.
2: Yeah, and he was um and so there became a huge push from churches because he was talking about home church. And again, this wasn't something new, just no. so we're clear. But because he was pushing for it, it became this huge thing that people that uh, churches began pushing for. Our church included was pushing for these community groups, which was like a home church, but not a home church right um, it's what they wanted to call small groups um and and so they were pushing for it really, really hard um and ultimately, at the end of the day it it and so I was skeptical at the end of the day and but as i began to understand more about ministry and really about what's important and if you could get rid of all the bull crap it's like oh yeah it's really actually just home church that's really actually mm-hmm. what because like i'm like all right if i take this away i don't need it that i don't need that and i'm not saying i don't need it i'm saying that the faith doesn't need like if you're sitting there and you're like okay yeah just it it's a bunch of crap on a desk basically and people have said that this is christianity and now we're sitting there and we're cleaning all the clutter off and we're finding that oh yeah none of that is needed all these papers all this stuff that's been filling up this desk space that we've sat there and said that our faith hinges upon it right it's not that way and it it includes your participation in church and what that looks like. What God wanted from church was he said, you are not meant to be alone in this. Yes. You are going to need friends, comrades to to be in the trenches with, right? Because again, we still believe we're not persecuted in this country, but we still understand that being a Christian is difficult and following God's rules is difficult. And you are in the trenches with people that are trying to live out their life counterculturally in yeah. some aspects. And again, we said that our culture is a little bit more forgiving and that kind of stuff, but there's still things that are countercultural. Um, there's conversations that come up with guy friends and stuff like that where it's like, yeah, you have to participate in the conversation because it's socially acceptable, but maybe you're not a fan of what you guys are talking about or whatever. Right. You know? Um, but that's what socially guys do in that conversation or what girls do in that conversation. And you're like, well, that's just not, you know, and so that's just a a minor example, but it's just saying that there are, that's just how the world works. And so you need people that are there with you and that understand, um, your situation and you understand theirs. That's huge. Um, just for you psychologically so
1: i'm glad you brought up francis chan because i forgot about that um so for those of you who don't know he was he was leading a a large church in southern california area called simi valley i think it might have been an offshoot at one point of grace church which john MacArthur has um i'm not sure about that but anyway it got to be its own very large church i actually had people that i know that i went to high school with either that i was still very close with or people that i knew in fact a father that i knew uh he coached two of the kids that i one kid i played with and then his younger son i coached football at the high school i was at their father was in one of uh one of Chan's uh, videos for that that first big book that he wrote, and then he did the Bible study to go along with it. I can't remember the name of that book. Anyway, was it the Love one? Yeah. The uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so Chan, he's leading this church. He he writes, he starts writing these books. They're making a ton of money. I think a lot of guilt uh, crept in,
2: and he either yeah he went he did the whole uh, what's it called thing the. Uh, either, what's his name from Saddleback? He did that.
1: Yeah, he either, he either, he either told the church they didn't need to pay a salary anymore, and that he still like gave away most of what his royalties were, or yeah. he gave all the royalties away and only made what the church gave. And then I think he, he gave the church basically though. He just he was making so much money that the church wasn't paying anything for a salary. But then even after a while, he just there was a longing for. <laughs> to be honest, I think he just is like why am I why am I ministering to the crowd? I'm 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 wasting my talents at this
2: It was Crazy Love. That was Yeah, it was way.
1: Crazy Love. I am I am not where God wants me to be where I am ministering to people once a week and writing books and doing videos to upper middle class white people. Or just upper middle class Christians, yeah. The, whatever the races, and so he up and quits. Oh, and then he also started having a, a he started having this uh, very strong longing to deal with uh, not only just homeless but poor poor people. He I think he started feeling that the church was really guilty of not addressing the lesser uh, among us, and so. He quits. He sells his house, and he still had kids. I think in high school. I think one one his daughter was maybe in college. But he still had kids that were living. And they sell everything and they move up to the Bay Area.
2: If and Francis, if you're listening to this, you have very big hands.
1: <laughs> you do have very very big hands. Very long fingers. <laughs> very he
2: talks. If you've never seen Francis, he talks with his hands a lot, and he does the whole like. I mean, I can't show you because you're uh, just listening to this. But Yeah, go find he, him on YouTube. He brings his. He brings he's his. Just, he, he does the, like, uh, Mr. Burns kind of yes, stuff with his a, hands. He's a skinny, and this, this.
1: bald-headed uh, Asian guy. Yeah,
2: and he's, But he's got massive hands With long fingers um, and, and it's like you see him in all of his And I don't think I would have ever noticed it If it wasn't for the fact that somebody And he's very Yeah, when he talks yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, And it, if it wasn't for the fact that somebody pointed it out to me I don't think I ever would have noticed But I can't like not see it every single time That I watch it now Yeah, uh,
1: Danique and I had the pleasure Of seeing him in person at a Bayside conference Up
2: in Sacramento Oh nice, yeah, and yeah. he's great It
1: was on the, I think it was between crazy love in his other book so it was like the peak he's he also just, super
2: down to earth if he's you ever
1: very down to remember. earth um he doesn't his the stories that he tell are personal he's very very vulnerable in in just and you know he's uh he's you know today one of today's modern theologians he's he seems like a, like i said he 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 can be very maddening because you're like Man, you make me feel like a horrible Christian because I'm just not on fire like you are. But he's very vulnerable about the stuff that he's dealing with. Um, I, he also got very much into uh, uh, human trafficking, which is funny because that's kind of gone away and now it's become a thing and now it's even become political. Anyway, that's a whole side conversation. you gotta right? be,
2: you got to be a little bit more specific when you're saying he got really into human oh, trafficking. He got, he
1: got very challenged by human trafficking. <laughs>
2: yeah. He got...
1: A, he got He had, like, a... I think this is what he talked about when we saw him at Bayside. He had a terrible dream or something that his daughter had been kidnapped and sold into human trafficking, slavery, and, like, sexually abused. I think it's what... And it just, like... It caused, like, a profound amount of anxiety. It was, like, one of those things that just shocked him to the core. And he, like, could Like, it was a... It, like, haunted him for weeks.
2: Um
1: which is kind of his problem. He gets he's very emotional.
2: Yeah, he I think he, he also needs... forgot that he had watched Taken with Liam Neeson <laughs> the night before yeah, and probably. just was like
1: So anyway, he so he goes up to the bay area and we actually met someone. We met someone and some a couple of people who were involved in his home church in San Francisco. And I don't have I have no idea how it's if it's still functioning what if it succeeded or what and, and I'll speak to that in a minute, but they had, they. it's funny because I just cl- sounded a few minutes l- ago like I was clever in laying out some model <laughs> for how home church works. And then after you mentioned Francis Chan, I realized that I was just subconsciously mimicking <laughs> what Francis Chan was already doing. So it wasn't me, folks. Francis was the smart one. So they started a, Network of home churches in downtown San Francisco, perfect idea because you're not paying a bunch of money for a stupid building you don't really need. Yeah, and these churches, home churches, would meet in somebody's home in the and I think they were done by neighborhood. So you were everyone who was in a church, a, a, a home church. A mini it was, group. It was based we're off all, proximity. Yeah. They were all living near one another, which is what you want. Again, somebody's sick. I'm going to take a casserole over or don't worry about walking the dock for a couple days. All that kind of stuff. And then once a month, they would meet. But smarter than my idea, they met in a park and they just had a barbecue and they opened it up to everybody else. It wasn't just the home church, but that was their t- time to get come together, sing some praise songs have Francis or somebody else do a sermon together and then just hang out and do a potluck and be a larger group so you got this sense of it's not just me, it's not the other three or four couples or families that I'm, but we're there's a bigger group that we can even lean on beyond that. And then the other thing that was key was they were all tied into some sort of social work with literally within the community they were at. Yeah. So a lot of it was... I think they were, some people were dealing with uh, homeless, some people were dealing with elderly shut-ins who were still living in San Francisco and caring for them. So again, it gave you that outward purpose. So it wasn't just some inward focusing thing, which is which is the thing that our little group does not have. We have not like, gotten intentional about, hey, let's once a month all decide to do something as a group like... Which, you know, that's why it's easier to do that when you have a larger group. Like at First Baptist, men would do that because somebody would find out a lady needed to have her refrigerator moved or needed uh, her house painted and the guys would get together and bang it out in a day or two weekends. And so, anyway, that is how that model works. So you're thinking, well, how's it, how's it going? Is it working? Is it, is, did it fail? Let me say this. If it fails, so what? First tries always fail. If it failed, that is not a sign that that is not a future model that works. Now, I remember when we went up there, Danica and I both loved it. Yeah. And she said, that's great. And I said, yeah, but you know what the problem is? We li- even though we live in a small, we live in a large country town. We live in a suburb. We live in a suburban town. It's basically yeah. a suburban town. I said, the problem is that model works in an urban setting. And I, since then, since like six months after that, uh, somebody who was mutual friends with our friend Kellen was doing a similar model in downtown Fresno because they were living, it was the same kind of situation. People were living in small town homes or houses all in a tight knit group and everything was tied to that community. We'd, that model just doesn't really... Like I said, our the town we live in is basically just one big suburban town with some strip malls and stuff like that, just like any other suburban city in a big city. We are not a downtown suburban thing where there's a high concentration of families and you can walk to everything or take public transportation and everything's right there. And I think that makes that a lot easier to do than in a suburban model. You can still do the home thing but it just really thrives in that big city model. And one of those reasons is, yeah, because why would I spend money on a building now?
2: Yeah. Well, I think it also I think that there's also a una like there's a unity in metropolitan areas that people don't necessarily realize. Correct. I think people think that metropolitan areas are isolated.
1: No, they're actually, suburb, suburbs is where the, we're the most atomized and, and uh, 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 autonomous. Yeah. Big cities, you are used to rubbing elbows and seeing people and and you're not, you don't go to the grocery store and buy a week's worth of food. You go and buy what you need for maybe that night and tomorrow, or you don't even go to the grocery store Right or the whatever your little market is, you're buying a meal that night, you might be eating it at the little pizza place around the corner if you live in New York City and you're interacting with all kinds of people all the time. Yeah, my or mom- You're in with people. You might not be interacting with them, but you, you're exposed to people where I would, in if I'm in a big city, I would actually make, I would, in a big city, you would go to a McDonald's or a whatever fast food place and literally eat in the store nobody does that here unless you're from like out of town and you're coming through i don't ever go to like a fast food place if i'm going there i'm going through the drive-thru or if i go in because it's quicker i'm putting it in a bag and i'm going home or or wherever i'm going with it that's insane but you don't do that at there i'm not going to take it back to my house that's just my little 800 foot apartment that's just trash i gotta schlep home i'm just gonna eat it here leave the trash there right. go back to my place it doesn't stink of whatever i'm eating
2: well and i think so like my parents live in seattle um and i gotta i don't i've never lived in a city so i don't um I. I tim lived in los angeles and so he's got a He's got a good idea on some of that stuff. Yeah, I
1: lived in actual downtown Hollywood for a couple of years, so.
2: Yeah, and he's got a funny story about that actually. <laughs> um, but my parents lived in Seattle. live in Seattle now, and I got a taste of it over the, over the, over the summer break, and, and yeah, there's a there's a sense of unity that kind of exists there, where, um, again, people are. Yeah, you go to the market every other day. Um, I was like, my mom works uh, uh, right off of the tram station. She goes, hops on it if they need to go pick up something. They she literally she has to walk by a local market just to get home. So she walks in there, grabs the stuff that she needs, and goes from there. Um, and again, Seattle is very similar to San Francisco um, as far as their whole layout. I. I actually call Seattle the San Francisco of the north because they are so similar. Um, The cities are so similar. Um, But it's cool to see how uh, those cities are able to connect. Um, I was talking with people on the street, um, and I'm not even from there. and And there was no problem. There's farmers markets that go on on a regular basis right around the corner from them. Um, there's a ton of stuff that's going on where they try to bring people together and people are constantly in contact with them. My parents live in an apartment building where they're talking with people all the time. Um, and so that's that's the truth of the situation. But then we get to where we're at and we want our fences, we want our borders, our boundaries, and the people that we know are the people that we interact with. And yeah. that's it. Um, and... I'm least connected
1: to the people that live around me.
2: Yeah. And it's, and it's almost off-putting or weird if you get connected with the people that are around you.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have we have a younger couple that lives next door, and we've kind of, I mean, we don't know them exceptionally well, but we've gone out of our way to be. Uh, I found out he likes Coors and she likes Coors Light, so every once in a while we'd go to Costco, and I just, just for kicks, buy a thirty-six rack of each for him, and just show up, and they'd always be like. What's this for? Because we love you guys. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. If you're maybe you listen to this, like buy beer, but you know, that's really nice. That just to them, it just means I paid attention the one day they showed up. You were there that day they yeah. showed up to watch the Daytona 500, and we were all drinking beer, Coors and Coors Light. And that's when we, I found out he likes Coors, she likes Coors Light. They don't, and so. And then when they had they had their first child a couple months ago, we went out of our way to make sure we were always checking in with Melissa, asking how she's doing, asking Clint how they're doing, um, find out what the sex was when uh, the baby got born. I gave him a nice bottle of uh, whiskey and some nice. I made I asked beforehand, you like cigars? He said, Yep. He said I don't smoke them regularly, but if I get you know somebody gives me one, I'll smoke it. He didn't ask me why I asked, but when the baby came around, I gave him some nice cigars and some whiskey like one might used to do back in the day and say here papa they got wrapped in blue because they had a boy and but other than that i mean i vaguely know well i do know my neighbor across the street because he went to the church that we used to go to so i do know him and it's nice to have him because he's an older retired gentleman and he's the nosy parker who knows everything going on in the neighborhood and you need to know those kind of folks because when you leave town, go out of town. It's always nice to have a next door neighbor or neighbor across the street who monitors everything. But again, I vaguely know the other people
2: around me. And I've got the nosy neighbor across the street. His name's Steve, uh, and he's across the street from me. Um, good guy. Um, but yeah, I just I don't feel like people connect with their neighbors anymore. No, There's none. not no. not in our area, anyways. Um, and so. So the home church thing is,
1: I have to. I'll be honest. I have to work on it. It's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, this, this is. I I need I'm, to know. Agree. One, just as a human being, but two, as a Jesus follower, I should know who the hell my neighbors are. But I don't want to. I'm. I am the type of like I don't know them. They don't know me. I stay off my yard. I'll. I won't bother you. You won't bother me. But that's just not how we're supposed to live. So I have to. I have to be really intentional about it. So.
2: Well and I was intentional we have a we have a couple that lives a couple of blocks down and they got in a really bad car accident and, and I'm no good at I cook all of our meals in our house. Um and I, I said that earlier. Um so I can cook really well, but usually what people want is baked goods and I am not a baker. <laughs> I'm terrible at baked goods. Like, I I can't ever figure out... I I don't know if it's our oven, or I don't know if it's me. But I love brownies, but for some reason I can't get brownies right in my damn oven. (laughs) And neither can my wife, so at least we got that going. But I was adamant, I was like, they got in a really bad car accident. I was like, I would like to bring them... The one thing that I can bake is I can bake muffins. I know that seems really weird, but... uh, I have a pretty good blueberry muffin recipe that I like to do from scratch. And I was adamant about bringing it over to them. But if I'm being honest, I brought it over there. And I was like sitting there crossing my fingers. And I was like, I hope they're not home. I hope they're not home. Because I didn't want to interact. Like that's the sad part, right? Like, And not that I don't know these people. Well, I like kind of know them. I've been over at their house right. like one time or whatever. But I, I was like, I don't want like they were injured, and I didn't want, like, awkward yeah, conversation, you know, I just, I was like, door. I just yeah, ring exactly, doorbell, like, I, like, ran, you know, they got a ring, just put you the alarm at 250, warm it up for 10 minutes, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> I, like, wrote a note and everything, and I was like, that's gonna be perfect, even, like, thought to myself, I was like, I don't want to ring this, but I was like, dang, they got a ring, they're gonna know if I ring the doorbell mm-hmm. or not, they were gone, so, but it's, it's a true thing, like, I... I have to be better than that, but I, you know, it's just, and I'm not antisocial at all. I'm actually pretty extroverted, but for whatever, there's just some things where it's a bit of a stretch where it's just not socially acceptable in in our area of the world that we live in to really do that stuff. And, and I think that those people would be grateful and they'd be like, Oh, thanks you know, like, thanks for thinking of us, or whatever. It's not like, they may set I was like, if they throw those blueberry muffins away, that's okay. Like, (laughs) my feelings aren't hurt. I was like, they're pretty good, but, like, uh, uh, I'm, like, I don't care. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's just how it is with, in the world that we live in here. And, the community group, or the the small – not small group, but the home church is really about connecting with those people that you know, being there for one another, having that fellowship of believers. And then, yeah, I think that there needs to be an aspect of where you take care of other people that are around you as well. And that's something that that we hadn't really gotten to. And I mean like if we keep saying that our Friday group is this, um, then we need to – start having something where we go out and we do something. Yeah. Um. I was like, it's probably not going to be all of us, but a Saturday, a month, we go and we do something for a couple hours. I was like, we've done it before, but we usually take care of our own. That's usually the thing that we do. So, like, Kellen's like, I got something that needs moved or whatever, and we're like, yep, absolutely, and we're there, and we help him move it. Um andy had a rough go a couple years like what year and a half ago two years ago now and we all showed up and and cleaned up his backyard for him um yeah
1: covid was rough on the flores household it was devastating so um, i was like we helped
2: him clean up his backyard we didn't clean we didn't clean it up for him we he was there and and we all tried to help work on that kind of stuff with him you know we take care of our own right i mean um and i think that I think that maybe step forward is just we challenge ourselves to take care of others as well yeah Hmm. i don't know what that looks like yet but it's something that we can be doing moving forward
1: well i think that
2: so to wrap up the the whole both
1: articles i think you know this has been going on for a while probably at least for a decade where The statistics are coming about all these people leaving the church and I think the assumption has been for a long time that these are people who are no longer believers. And I think what we're finding out there's more research is done and we just start people start thinking about what's happening societally and in the church that it's much more nuanced than that. I wouldn't at all be able to put a percentage on it's it's this percentage of this and this percentage of this, but it's it's certainly people there's certainly a percentage of people who grew up in the church and God bless them. They just didn't really believe they did it because their parents had them go. And at some point they were set free and didn't need to show up anymore. And I think there's a, there is another group of people that are put off by the sex scandals and the as in all the different aspects of the church. And they find it super hypocritical enough that it really drives them away um i think there's stuff that like i said earlier where we're having these we're trying to figure out an equilibrium on what what does it what does being a jesus follower mean when it comes to sexual identity and 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 sexual right behavior because you know the jesus isn't specific on any things but he also the bible both old testament and new is pretty clear that sexual behavior is pretty important to god so we're, we're trying to figure that out and and i think uh the traditional church that's trying to hold on to its power and I, by that i don't mean like you know literal power but it's trying to hold on to its power in terms of theology and all that is not doing a good job that's driven away people but a lot of this like what we've been talking about today is just the industrial church is not meeting people's needs anymore, and there's yeah. no point for them to go. And I think that's a problem if you've decided not to go anymore because you're opening yourself up to not being challenged, not being fed, not being right. not outreaching, not being given easy opportunities to outreach to people, which then makes you feel like, okay, yeah, I needed this. And you're losing out on that. And I think sometimes one day some of you might wake up and you don't really believe anymore either. Um, It's the summer you're doing your best to struggle. So this whole leaving the church thing is just one big convoluted mess of a lot of different things. So, Which, if we're really being honest, uh, I think as believers, society as a whole is going through this. We're not the only ones. Society in all aspects is going through this as... We reach, I think, peak atomized. America's been atomized, hyper hyper atomized by politics, uh, both right and left. Uh, It's been a philosophy, uh, worshipping of the economy, uh, finding one's purpose in one's work. Which I don't, you know, if you find you can find purpose in your work, but I don't think it should be your purpose in work. All of this stuff is being, I think, rethought. And it's all part of a, just a general shift that's going on, uh, as a part of what I've talked about many, many, many times on here the this post post uh, modern uh, digital age change that's just having everyone having the West rethink society in a lot of ways. So we're we're going through the same gr- growing pain. So um, before before I wrap up, wrap up. Do you like cakey brownies or do you like dense brownies, like closer to a cookie?
2: Hmm. Uh, closer to a cookie. Okay, I have a recipe for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm a. I was like the tur. I don't think I've ever used cakey or. I want a chewy brownie. Okay, chewy.
1: That's perfect. All right, I was like, that's a what lot I like. of the stuff you get out of a box ends up being like, it's kind of like spongy and I'm like that's not a brownie. That's closer to cake than to. I mean, some people uh, yeah, like I those kind want... of brownies. I like something really chewy, dense, that I could slap a piece of uh, a scoop of ice cream on or. Something. Yeah, I'm not looking for fudge, but right, like, right.
2: i f- but I want a chewy. Yeah, I, I was like, dense is the term that I guess I'm looking for there.
1: Okay, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review so others on the crazy Apple, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, yada, 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 algorithms can find this podcast so others can become Go to Hell degenerates talking about beer, the church, Christianity, etc. And if you don't like Jimmy Buffett, go to hell.
2: Nice. Nice Nice point
0: back to Jimmy. Mother, Mother Ocean, I have heard you call. Wanted to sail upon your waters since I was three feet tall. You've seen it all. You've seen it all. Watch the men wish from sail to steam. And in your belly you hold the treasure you have ever seen. Most of them dreams. Most of them dreams. Yes, I Than to plunder, I'm over forty, victim of fate, driving too late, driving. Just a few friends Just a few friends One day and still can manage a smile. Just takes a while, just takes a while. patience just